On this week's episode of Friend Code, I'm doing a spotlight on Super Mario 64. How's it going everyone? Welcome to a new episode of Friend Code. This one's a little bit of a special episode. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Super Mario 64. Uh, going forward, we'll try and have more of the allies involved with this, but uh, due to the nature of this being the first one and I wanted to try it out, I decided to just go with just my opinion on this, kind of my own voice. So anyway, without further ado, spotlight on Super Mario 64. In case you haven't noticed, I really like Super Mario 64. It's one of my go-to games for streaming when I can't think of anything else to play, and I often find myself with a sudden desire to play through the entire game for fun. What is it about Super Mario 64 that continuously draws me to it? How can I play it this much and still want to come back to it so often? These are just a few of the questions I hope to address as I take a closer look at just what makes Super Mario 64 so special to me. For those of you who haven't listened to previous episodes of Friend Code, I explained my first experience with both Super Mario 64 and the Nintendo 64. The system launched back in 1996 in North America, and didn't actually get the system until shortly after its launch. However, I got a chance to try out the Nintendo 64 a bit earlier at Toys R Us, one of the ones that had those kiosks where you could play Super Mario 64. To my surprise, I actually had a difficult time playing the game at first, especially just trying to run in a straight line in the game's first level. Despite the setbacks, I simply had to have more. So when I finally got my own Nintendo 64, with Super Mario 64 in October of that year, you couldn't pull me away from the thing. After school, I would rush up to my room and continue my adventure further into Peach's castle in an attempt to collect the 70 Power Stars needed to confront Bowser. I never experienced anything quite like Super Mario 64, and it had a profound impact on the way I viewed games. Now, let's back up a bit real quick. You see, Super Mario 64 was the first Nintendo game where you could move around freely in a fully realized three-dimensional world. Sure, Star Fox gets a lot of credit for realizing 3D visuals back on the Super Nintendo and being an early example of a 3D effort, but it was nothing to the degree of Super Mario 64. In fact, during the transition to the Nintendo 64, a lot of the pre-launch chatter revolved around whether or not Nintendo could successfully realize their beloved 2D side-scrollers and adventure games in 3D. Super Mario 64 would be the first, and it would set the tone for the system. If Nintendo failed to convert Mario into 3D, then it would have cast a huge shadow over the Nintendo 64's future. As it turned out, Super Mario 64 earned rave reviews from fans and critics alike, and is cited as a landmark release in the history of gaming by helping to pave the way for future 3D platformers. It's also one of my favorite games of all time, and one that I place near the top of my personal best games of all time list. Despite being an adamant supporter of classic 2D games, Super Mario 64 is one of the few 3D games where I would say I prefer it over any of its 2D incarnations. Yes, I believe Super Mario 64 is superior to both Super Mario World and Super Mario Bros. 3. Usually in a critical review, we go over lots of different areas of the game including the mechanics, the design, the visuals, soundtrack, and other elements that are crucial to the experience. What I love the most about Super Mario 64 
and why I feel it is such an excellent game is its absolutely phenomenal levels, which feel like 3D playgrounds that gave me a sense of freedom and a platformer unlike anything before it, and something I've rarely seen since. I know some will point to another stellar Nintendo 64 platformer, Banjo-Kazooie, and the larger degree of freedom you have in each of that game's worlds. While I agree that it offers you more in the way of being able to complete multiple objectives at once, and that's an impressive accomplishment, I maintain to this day that the game is simply not as fun to play as Super Mario 64. To me, it feels like the worlds in Super Mario 64 were designed as obstacle courses where I'm encouraged to try out my platforming abilities, whereas Banjo-Kazooie feels more like a scripted adventure where I'm being strung along by the narrative and objectives doled out by the NPCs. One game affords me a sense of freedom and encourages me to play around, and the other is tugging me in specific directions, and when it comes to a platformer, I prefer the former. One of the things I value the most in a game is when I'm given the opportunity to tackle objectives in more ways than one, but I especially love it when I can't tell if the way I completed an objective was the way the game intended me to or not. Whenever this happens, I'll hop onto YouTube or Twitch to watch various playthroughs and compare what I did to others. Seeing how drastically different each of us would reach a star was one of the most amazing things I had seen in a game. The fact that, in my opinion, this still holds true over two decades later is one of the strongest testaments to my belief and why Super Mario 64 is such a great game. Despite the advances in 3D Mario games since Super Mario 64, I still prefer the platforming mechanics of the Nintendo 64 classic. I can see that it may be nostalgia, or it may be the fact it was my first 3D game, and I'm just so familiar with it. Perhaps it's a bit of both, but I still prefer the way Mario handles in Super Mario 64 over any other 3D Mario game. I feel that the newer incarnations are more restrictive, removing some degree of freedom with Mario's movements. I present to you the following two quirky examples as evidence. Whether it's my fascination with doing forward momentum backflips, or long jumps that go in reverse, these two guilty pleasures have never been possible again in any future 3D Mario game. Additionally, I believe I had more control over Mario's trajectory and a higher degree of flexibility in his range of movements. As Nintendo refined Mario's movement and jumping abilities in future games, to me it felt like they reeled the controls in a bit to accommodate the designs of each new installment. Mario's base controls felt sluggish and slower in these newer incarnations. Couple this with the fact that I feel the 3D Mario games have gotten more linear in design, almost to the point where they are trying to replicate the feel of traditional 2D courses, and I hope you can begin to understand why I adore Super Mario 64. The closest game to it since was Super Mario Sunshine but each subsequent entry got further and further away from what I loved about the original. That's not to say I dislike the other games in the series, especially Super Mario Galaxy and its sequel. In fact, I think they're some of the best games ever made. 
I just prefer the design and the platforming elements of Super Mario 64 over these other 3D Mario games. This is probably why I'm so excited about what I've seen and played in Super Mario Odyssey. It's more in line with something akin to Super Mario 64 and Sunshine than the newer installments. Even if it's not exactly like Super Mario 64, it's leaning towards that style of 3D Mario that I enjoy so much. To see any new installment draw heavily upon Super Mario 64 for inspiration is enough to make me feel optimistic about its outlook. So there you have it, why I love Super Mario 64 so much, and what I see in this game each time I jump back into this N64 classic. Oh yeah, I also love the music in this game, and I like Peach's Castle as a hub world, and all of the secrets it has too. So now maybe you have a better understanding of why I always place this game on such a lofty pedestal. So since this was a special type of episode, um, and I think it's pretty clear that in the future it would benefit from additional input from some of the other allies. So for the next Spotlight episode, it'll be more of a discussion. Just need to give the allies a little bit more time. We, may, we probably will even revisit Super Mario 64, um, hopefully with some of the other allies' input on this. But it'll be a more in-depth discussion, I feel. Just, just doing these by myself... Even this feels a little short. I feel like I didn't want to... I, my goal was to keep this uh, like only to like you know 5-10 minutes max. So going any longer than that, I, I could have made this a 30 minute video. But a lot of you didn't want that. You would like to see more short form content. And as I promised when we pitched Friend Code that there would be episodes that were different. They weren't just podcast style episodes. So this is trying it out, seeing how you, how you would re react to it. But, in an effort to, to make this have a little bit more meat to it, well, I don't want to say meat, but a little bit more length to it, since you might be used to the hour-long episodes, uh, I, I put up a post for what would normally be the last call questions, but for patrons $5 and up to ask questions about Super Mario 64. So, uh, if you're listening to this, you know I, I, I put the time code in the section so you can skip ahead of this, but let's, let's dive right into it. Um, so, we'll start with Cornthan2007. I recently tried to play the game, and nothing special jumped out to me about it. As someone that missed it at release, I'm out of the loop. What made the game so special at release that you can notice now, uh, that you can't notice now, as games do so much more. So uh, in, earlier in the video, I did mention that perhaps it was the fact that this was, you know, I played this game when it came out. Um, and it's just like nostalgia talking because of that because it's hard for me to see from a different perspective but I mean why I think it's so special but I think it's hard to deny the fact that this is one of the first 3D platform or this was one of the first 3D platformers one of the first serious 3D console game efforts at the time and as I said uh, briefly in the episode that this was a, a big time of transition for Nintendo going into the third dimension and converting all of its classic 2D series into 3D. It might seem like it's super easy to do because all these games are in 3D now, but 
it was uh, a point of concern back then whether or not Nintendo could do it because no one else was really doing it well. Um, there have been a lot of failures before uh, in terms of like 3D gaming or it came off as gimmicky. So it was a little bit, uh, yeah, it was very concerning. I mean, heck, Metroid skipped out on 3D for the longest time because they couldn't figure out how to make a 3D Metroid game. That's, you know, I mean, that's a different thing. But I think because it was there, it was such a landmark title in terms of paving the way for future three-dimensional games and just future platformers in general. Uh, I think that's what makes it historically so uh, relevant and important. But at the time, there was unlike, there was nothing like it, pretty much. It was this new, unique experience you couldn't get anywhere else. It had a lot of imitators afterwards that never really lived up to it. The only one you can ever argue that I ever see brought up in arguments is Banjo Kazooie. Banjo Kazooie versus Super Mario 64 is like like time like a timeless debate, and I think it comes down to which style of game you like. Banjo Kazooie is more of an action, more of an adventure game with some platforming elements, whereas Super Mario 64 is a pure 3D platformer with light adventure elements in it. So it just depends which end of the spectrum you like on that. Um, so I, I think that is what was so special about it, and uh, it. I think if you've played more th- a lot of 3D platformers that are more recent and try and go back to it, that's unfortunately a perspective I cannot see. Uh, I and but I can at least acknowledge that that might that sorry that might make Super Mario 64 seem less uh, uh, special or or I guess good quality wise. Um, M Bun S, what's your favorite secret unexpected moment from Super Mario 64? Like many people. I just found out about the hidden one-up from punching the bottom of the tower in Womp's Fortress a couple months ago when a post about it was going around. Blows my mind how secrets like this can persist for so long, even to people who have played the game many times. Um, the one-up things are cool. Uh, the impossible coins, uh, like the one on Tiny Huge Island and uh, Snowman's Land. Those especially back when I was doing the episode on pop fiction, it was insane to see those, uh, the, the, the amount of efforts that went into collecting them legitimately, <laughs> some of them, um, and the videos that have come out since. Uh, I think, I mean, obviously back in the day, finding Yoshi on the top, getting 120 stars, was like the best basic secret. Uh, uh, obviously, you know, there's all the myths and stuff, and not a lot which came true. Uh, there's also, I mean, it's not really a secret, um, the whole thing about like the the peril dimension thing, that huge video on that about how how that works, like kind of was blew me away. Um, unexpected moments, like the first time I did the wing cap stage, when you step out there and there's the light in the corridor and you're just like, what the heck's this? And you have to figure out the like going to first person or not first person, but the zoomed in camera and look up and you're warped to this flying zone. It was, like what? Uh, that was a little insane. Some of the later levels, like, later levels like TikTok Clock, blew me away. But yeah, good question. Uh, Joe Holaska asks, "What do you think about the game soundtrack compared to the Mario series mainline titles that preceded and succeeded it?" Well, I mean, Mario games have always had iconic music, and a lot of the ones that pre- many of the traditional themes preceded it. And are reused. Uh, their, their themes, the motifs are just reused throughout the audio. You know, the audio motifs is reused throughout 
the rest of the series. Um, I think though there there are definitely some tracks in there I love. Um, I love the music in Dire Dire Docks. I think that is one of my like favorite tracks in all the Mario series. One of my favorite video game music tracks. Period. Uh, so I I I I find that to be a very superb effort there. Um, even just the reworking of some of the classic themes and jingles in there was really good. Uh, I mean, I, I, I liked it. It was mostly upbeat. I mean, the, the, boo, uh, the, oh gosh, forget it. the, the mansion stage and stuff with the booze and, uh, just the caves, the, the, the cave level stuff like they're. The haunting music, basically. Like, I like that. Th- like, I like that theme. I know it's not like it's kind of repetitive and not that long of a, a loop, but it got the job done. Uh, I think pretty effectively. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was a. I think it has its highs and lows. Honestly, I don't think it's the greatest soundtrack or very like. Ex- like I, I said, I love the music, but it's in the within the Mario series. It's overall not the strongest but that dire dire docks for me dire dire docks just kind of like steals the show um dancing elk asks when did you first realize that super mario 64 was a significantly forward for video games um and then you have some you can include a personal anecdote about explaining the difference between 2d and 3d uh for super mario 64 um i think i believed it I believed in that uh, that claim prior to it coming out. All of the, the articles I read in Nintendo Power and EGM back in the day, the promotional video that I got my hands on showing off Super Mario 64, everything about it, every image I saw is like seeing Mario in 3D. I was just like, there's never been anything like this. This, this is going to be ridiculous. Like I, it was almost like an obsession. Like I had to play it. I was like, this, this has to be experienced. Like I, I, I am imagining what it's gonna be like to play it. And then when I got like my hands on it, um, and having that trouble, like it was in Bob Island Battlefield, trying to run up that that bridge, that first ramp, uh, up, uh, up to the area where you can get to the chomp, uh, the chain chomp, and the star, and then the Goombas up there. I couldn't like get up that to save my life because it was so hard to walk straight for some reason at first. But after I got used to it, I was just like, it, it was. It's hard to put into words sometimes, but after playing as much 2D games as I had, playing that game and playing Mario in 3D was just so unlike anything else. And it stinks because it felt very felt magical to play that game it, it felt very special and it stinks because as time has gone on with each new 3d game it's almost like impossible to replicate that feeling uh it's not just like the whole thing of you could forget a game go back to play it like of more recent games like people are like i wish i could go back and play breath of the wild for the first time oh i wish i could go play um dark souls for the first time again because I, I forgot all about it but, oh i wish i could go back and play final fantasy like you know seven even as recent that was for me, like it was Super Mario sixty four, and that kind of like magical feeling I had with each new game, like had it with Ocarina of Time. I had I, I didn't play Final Fantasy until later, that's why I'm kind of skipping over it. It wasn't the greatest example, but I felt it with Ocarina of Time. Um, I felt it 
a little bit with like Twilight Princess in 2006, but even with the big ones, the ones I get super hyped about as time has gone on, I feel a little bit of that, but it's diminishing with each time. And the strongest sense of that feeling in my memory is attached to playing Super Mario 64 for the first time. Um, playing maybe first exposure to the video games was probably as profound, but Super Mario 64 was... And the whole Nintendo 64 like launch and leading up to it is just a whole different thing. And roll Ocarina of Time into that, like Star Fox 64, Mario Kart 64, like that span of like late, like the 90s, 96 till about like 1998, 99, that window for me was, it was amazing for, for, for games and stuff. I don't think anything has come close to like touching that time period for me. Anyway, um, what else we got? We got uh, Greg Kettering asks, Would you have any interest in a remaster on the Switch with improved camera, graphics, etc.? Note, no Amiibo support, please. I'm really torn about this. And it comes from my philosophy on... Uh, because i got to acknowledge what I say about Final Fantasy VII and then, and then the remake being worked on uh, for that. Um... It's always part of me that feels like games should be updated so that new people can experience them in a playable form. Uh, but they're still virtual console. I mean, it's not on Switch yet, but let's assume N64 games come to Switch at some point. There's still a way to play the classic N64 game via emulation, essentially. Legal emula- emulation. I mean, emulation is legal, but like you can purchase the game legally and play it on there. So it's still officially supported. Um, part of me would love to see an HD version of this. Part of me thinks no. And I think the the reason for yes, obviously, is to see, yeah, the new visuals, the new music. Oh, it looks so beautiful. The no part of me is like, they're going to screw up the physics. They're going to screw up the core things that make me love Super Mario 64 um, are going to get screwed uh, in the name of modernizing the game. And if it ends up playing like Galaxy, um, I, I didn't really talk about this in the episode, but a good an, an analogy for me is to always take people back to Throwback Galaxy in Super Mario Galaxy 2. I think it's in. Sorry if I got that wrong. One of the Galaxy games has Throwback Galaxy, which is this Thwomp's Fortress from N64 Super Mario 64 Reimagined. And uh, as cool and the overall sense of nostalgia I get from that level, uh, I'd definitely take the original version of that stage any day when, and with its controls. It's not, it's not the same. Like, that was... That was a hard-hitting moment for me, and also like a definitive moment in, in reaffirming that I truly do like the Super Mario 64 controls and physics better than any of the newer 3D Mario games. So, I mean, I'll always have the original Mario 64, so it's not taking its place, so I guess that's cool. Um, and if they are going to try and preserve the mechanics, and like the platforming mechanics and the physics as much as they can then that's good too. So I would just be worried that it would just be the levels reimagined in for today with modern 3D Mario controls, which it's cool, but that's not gonna it's not gonna take the place of Super Mario 64 for me. Um Andreas asked about the DS version, so and he asked it to the panel. So one, there is no panel, uh, unfortunately it's just me. Two I have never touched the DS version except maybe for an episode of Pop Fiction, and it was literally just to do the capture I needed to get. 
think it was just to show Luigi off for a second. Um, I have an aversion to that game for whatever reason. It, it, playing as different characters and stuff. I don't know why. Maybe I just need to play it someday. Oh, initially it was because uh, no second analog support. I was like, yes, yeah, screw that uh, DS. But apparently on uh, Wii U Virtual Console, you can do second analog controls. So maybe I need to try it out again with that. I'm just worried it doesn't control very well and it looks doesn't look very good. So unfortunately I can't answer that because I haven't played it. Uh, Joseph Caruso asks, uh, for a lot of people, myself included, Super Mario 64 was the first time they got a, got to move a character around in three dimensions. Same here, Joseph. Even though I knew what to expect, having seen the promotional VHS about the N64 from Nintendo Power, which I also did, I was still obsessed with simply moving around the castle courtyard. I didn't even care about the challenging levels waiting awaiting me in the castle. It's for this reason that I often use Mario 64 as an analogy for what it's like to play current virtual reality. The game itself is often just icing on the cake. Simply moving around, simply moving and looking around is truly awesome because it's such a new experience. Uh, did you have a similar experience with Super Mario, or Mario 64 um, back then and still today? Is it fun to simply move around when you could be overcoming obstacles? I know I still load it up every once in a while on Virtual Console just to hop around the courtyard and feel like a kid again. So you pretty much very closely described how I felt when I first was getting ready to play that game and then finally played it. And yes, I spent a lot of time just like moving around and doing stuff. Which is why I feel like I probably know that game maybe the best of any game I've played in terms of just like knowing random weird stuff about gameplay stuff in that game. Um, obviously, you know, not an expert or anything like that, but... I still feel like it's like second nature to play that game to me. But it was because I spent a lot of time just walking around the levels and the castle. Like, yes, definitely the castle. For whatever reason, as a kid, the castle seemed humongous. And the courtyard area seemed humongous outside. Or sorry, the castle grounds outside. Um, not a courtyard. And each time I go back and play, it does seem a little smaller. But part of my memory says, oh, this was so big back in the day. But now as I'm seeing it, I'm like, oh, it's not that big. Look how small it is compared to, like, anything else. But it felt so massive. So there's that, like, trying to reconcile that, you know, as I get older, trying to reconcile the fact that it, compared to modern stuff, it doesn't hold up as well in that regard. But at the same time, when it released, there was nothing else like that. So, yeah, the awe... An amazement I felt at seeing and experience all that. So yes, uh, very similar experiences. I still do that said that type of stuff. Uh, Calvin Delaney asks, "I've never played Mario 64 in full. I've gotten around 22 stars. I do, however, love to watch people play it more than actually playing it myself. I grew up like most people in Ireland and the UK with Spyro and Crash as the mascot, not Mario." So I never really played any Mario games until Mario Kart Wii. My question is, what makes this game so enjoyable to watch somebody else play it? I had fun playing it myself, but also just love watching people play it. Um, it's a little strange. Um, I guess I guess you're just trying to speak to your unique experience, because I have a lot of friends over the years who have talked with that... Mario and Nintendo was still big in the UK, so 
Um, I'm just going to guess it was just you're growing up like people here have, you know, grew up with different systems stuff possibly. So, um, but yeah, like I don't know that I didn't grow like I tried Crash when it came out. I don't think I ever played a Spyro game, maybe touched it once. I mean, I don't count Skylanders as one. Um, but as to your question about what makes it so enjoyable, I think it's because I talked about in the actual episode, the, the whole concept of every level is an obstacle course. So it encourages you to do kind of like freeform platforming to tackle your objectives and seeing people do all these cool jumps and, and acrobatic abilities to reach the star. It's very fast paced. Uh, and again, it, it's very, it can seem frantic at times. Whereas side-scrolling nature of 2D games, um, it's definitely more of a, like a course that you go from one end to the other, and there's still definitely skill and, and like a lot of like excitement to be had in watching that. Obviously, not not trying to, not really don't really want to necessarily compare the two, but I think it's part of Mario 64 is just like open nature in each of the the worlds or the courses, as you will. Um, and collecting those stars, like the objectives you had to do, and seeing people do them in different ways. Um, and it's very easy to follow. It's it's a simple game in terms of jumping and stuff. It's watching someone do these cool platforming uh, tricks, essentially, to reach a spot. So I, I think it's, like, it's a simple thing to be fascinated with. So I, I think that's why Mario 64 and like other platformers are some of the easiest... Most enjoyable games to watch uh, other people play. Carl Williams asks, Super Mario 64 is one of my favorite games of all time. Over the years, there was always something that made my love and appreciation for the game get stronger long after I'd finished playing it. In the past, it was Super Mario 64 DS, which I remember liking and getting 100% completion. Currently, it's been the abundance of videos of people speedrunning the game and trying to collect all 120 stars in record time. It was seeing gamers pull off some incredible moves, whether due to glitches or other cool tricks, that showed to me that there was another layer of the game from a technical Marvel standpoint. Has there been has there been other factors that have helped your appreciation for the game grow stronger long after you finished the game? Uh, Carl, I think you kind of answered some of Calvin's question before. Um, I think, you know, that's why you know, some people enjoy watching this game and seeing, like, the the ridiculous amount of skills some people have with this game. And, yeah, uh, with this game and with some other games, seeing people come up with, like, new, like, discoveries, uh, new strategies, essentially, or tactics for uh, accomplishing something in the game is pretty cool to watch. And as I mentioned earlier, like, the whole, like, the impossible coin stuff, seeing people do that. The tricks where people can't use the A button uh, to complete stars was ridiculous to watch some of that stuff. So, yeah, I think the the reason some games get that level of attention from fans is, is a testament how good that game is. How endearing it is. And the fact that Super Mario 64 still takes up a lot of that spotlight, um, again, is just another testament to how, how this, this game's quality. And why it stood up over the years, in my opinion. Um, John Peterson asks, Which mechanics of the game were the most innovative? Which had never been done for? And which had the greatest influence on future games? So, the camera work is a big thing. You know, Super Mario 64's camera work isn't the the most perfect. 
Uh, it was probably one of the best camera systems of the time. And a lot of people were struggling with how to do camera work in third person. Uh, the trick, I, I feel personally, why, why first person stuff came to be is this is easier for people, probably easier to, to tackle that problem. If you're in first person, you are the camera. You're just looking around. It, there's no problem with that. Whereas when a camera has to follow you and it's in third person, it can bang up against, you know, solid objects. You know, what happens when you get into a tight corner and it's harder to see things. Um, I think they did a good job. It was kind of clever uh, how they how they did it, having one of the, the, the classic enemies. Uh, everyone says Lakitu, Lakitu, Lakitu. Um, the, the spiny thing, the, thing, the, the, the turtle... Toss out the spiny stuff in the cloud. Uh, that enemy. But this time they're the camera person. And they're with uh, the pretending part of like, some news network reporting live on Mario. Like investigating the, the, the whereabouts of Princess Peach. And the, what's going on in the castle. Um, so I would say that was probably the most innovative thing. Um, uh, but you're talking about mechanics. I can't really talk about design stuff. Um, I think like the obstacle course nature was huge. Uh, I mean, it introduced the triple jump. It introduced the the power abilities, the uh, new power abilities with the. I mean, flying in three D. I mean, there's obviously been flight in Mario games before. Metal Mario was cool. Invisible Cap was pretty cool. Going through like certain objects and stuff like that. Um, Mario actually had a very diverse uh, set of uh, abilities. Uh, you could do like the somersault dive, you could do a slide tackle, you could do a spin kick, uh, backflip, long jump, long jump, long jump was probably uh, my personal favorite and was that game introduced and uh, long jump, long jump has definitely been around there. Wall jumps, wall jumps were uh, a thing in this game. Uh, I mean, technically they've been in previous Mario games, but I don't think they were intentional. Um, th this was totally intentional. So and that's some of the few a few of the things uh, I think it did well. Um, I think they, as I, I think the camera work had the greatest influence on future games, but probably long jump after that. Wall jumps and long jumps probably after that. Uh, Brian Kruger asks, "How do you feel about people's first impression of the game being something other than the pure N64 version? Do the changes made to the DS version affect what the game is?" about people who are playing it emulated which means they're certain they most almost certainly aren't using the n64 controller um i mean i personally personally wish people could experience it using the n64 controller on and the n64 version even if it's emulated but i mean not everyone can can play it that way as time has gone on it's been over 20 years since it came out it's getting harder and harder to play the original version of super mario 64 uh, I mean, if you have the means, it's not too terribly tough to go online and secure a copy and a working order N64 online. There's a whole manner of actually being able to hook it up to a TV because it's SD. So most uh, more and more uh, television sets, HD, not like you know, HD, 4K. I mean, 4K is HD, but like anything that's like a modern TV starting to be a little bit more restrictive on the, the inputs on the on the on their panels usually it's component and a hdmi and even component stuff is like some sets won't come with component anymore so let alone following 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 finding one with composite input or 
even S video uh, is is a bit of a challenge since N64 only did S video or composite. There was no official component support for the uh, N64. Um, I didn't come till till GameCube era. Uh, I mean, there's other workarounds and stuff, but it the the bottom line of to answer your question, uh, Brian, is that uh, while I do wish you could play it that way, I understand it's not entirely plausible for everyone. So, uh, but I do whether you play it emulated or through whatever means, Virtual Console. I do hope you play the original version at some point. The DS version, since I haven't played through it, I don't know how I feel completely about it, but I'm going to guess, even if it's a superb game, it's still a, it's, its own game. It's not the same game. It's just, it's got added stuff, it's different. So I would still hope people would be able to play the original at some point. So, but as, as a matter of, like, what platform you play it on and what controller you use, you know, that that's not as important, I think. Um, Logan asks, do you think it's a good thing that Mario 64 was able to stand on its own as the only pure Mario game to come out for the N64? Or do you think Nintendo should have tried to release a Mario 64 too? Um, they tried. They, they were in development for it. Um, there are even like screenshots at one point of the split screen thing that they were trying to do. Uh, Nintendo 64, back then consoles, I guess it's a, it was a, it was a bit of a bummer that it was only the only pure 3D platforming Mario game to come out on that system, whereas um, NES had multiple. Super Nintendo had Super Mario World, and you got Yoshi's Island, but I mean, you didn't get a like a traditional follow up to Super Mario World on on that system. You didn't get you didn't get like Super Mario Three, which is more nostalgic Super Mario One. Um, but they still had multiple ones. I think it was fine. And 4 didn't have that long of a lifespan. It came out in like end of 96 and five years later. I mean, everything was like five years back then. But five years later, there's GameCube. Uh, I guess it was a bummer that it took uh, six years for the next one with Sunshine in 2002. But there were plenty of other good Mario games that came out between then. So I personally would have wished... To have another Mario, uh, I would have loved to have had a Super Mario 64 too, but didn't come to be. But I don't think it's the end of the world because I think N64 to me still had some pretty good games on it during its life, uh, even if it gets constantly uh, knocked for having software droughts of epic proportions. Um, DRD7014 asks, it's a lengthy one. Do you think that Nintendo knew what they had on its hands in regards to Super Mario 64 at the time? It's no question that the legacy and success of Super Mario on the NES and SNES uh, drove them to continue and expand the franchise into the next generation. But being the first noticeable mainstream entry into 3D platforming, Nintendo managed to set the bar quite high. While the game is dated in ways, the innovative... Uh, the innovative innovation, sorry, that they managed to bring from the 2D platformer into a 3D platforming environment was no small task. It literally had not been done before. Did Nintendo expect it to be as popular as it was, knowing they had struck gold, or were they merely experimenting? The reception is no doubt what led to the 3D sequels, along with the exploration of other games in the third 3D spectrum. But they were so few and far between. Now with the resurgence of Super Mario Odyssey and Metroid Prime 4, leaving out Zelda only because it never really went away, 
resistly grown in 3D scope. Are they trying to bring it back? Love and respect. Uh, DRD7014. Um, I don't think Nintendo was as cocky to think that Super Mario 64 was going to be a like a blockbuster, but I do feel like Nintendo has pride and has high expectations of itself. It demands the best of its teams, so they expect success with every release they have. Um, I think a lot of work, I mean, I don't think, I know, a lot of work and research went into Super Mario 64. The the, the trove, the treasure trove of information out there uh, regarding the development history of that game um, from all the interviews and uh, translate, like, you know, the English interviews, the translate interviews, the behind-the-scenes stuff that have come out over the past two decades... Uh, there's a pretty clear picture that was painted about the development of Super Mario 64. Um, hearing those types of stories, if I was able to hear that story in its entirety before the game came out, I would have said you have a winner on your hand. Um, those types of stories where it gets ridiculous, people are just like creating stuff, everyone's doing a bit of everything, uh, a lot of experimenting going on, uh, testing out new ideas, and then just like rolling with it. And just kind of putting it together into this game. Those end up being sort of like the best games ever made, in my opinion. And like similar story with Ocarina of Time, um, with its development, like which was like right alongside and after Super Mario 64. Um, however, I don't I don't think Nintendo knew it was gonna be as uh, important of a release. Uh, I just think they knew that they had not a lot to go on in terms of templates. So they kind of had to, like, you know, pave the way for 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 their for their own future of 3D games. They, they, had, they had to, like, establish it because it didn't exist. And they did a really good job. And it's, uh, like, people tried to copy them. Like, they, they basically built the 3D... They established the 3D platforming template. Um... Uh, the reception of the other 3D sequels and stuff, I mean, that's, like, inevitable. I, I don't know if you have to give it that much credit. I think people would have still tried. I think if the N64 had completely failed, and none of the games had sold, and PlayStation had failed, and none of those games sold, then it'd be surprising to see any 3D games coming after those, but the fact that you had two systems, successful games, 3D games on them, and then PC platforming starting to get... PC platform starting to get 3D games on it as well. I don't think you had much to worry about in that regard. Um, I don't know about like the like the resurgence, this last part of your thing. I don't know if I entirely uh, agree or f like entirely follow the logic here. Um, now the resurgence of Super Mario City in March 8.4, are they trying to bring it back? Uh, Hank Supermarcy is a, is a more of a result of the feedback they've gotten over from Mario games, well, 3D World and 3D Land, I feel, and, and the onslaught of the new Super Mario Brothers series. People are just clamoring for, hey, uh, it would be nice to have you know an older style 3D Mario game again. Remember that Super Mario 64 and Sunshine, that freedom to explore those those worlds, um, the like obsession with you know like. Banjo Kazooie, like leading ukulele, like people putting a lot of money behind that to, to make that game happen, even turn out for the best. Um, I think that's more 
the reason Nintendo took the direction with Odyssey. Um, actually, it makes me excited because Odyssey and Breath of the Wild have shown that Nintendo is willing to do a callback to a lot of the older style of these games and these series while also pushing them forward with like new innovations and borrowing elements from some of the more popular contemporaries out there and not being ashamed to draw upon that. But, I mean, Super Mario City looks like insane with the, the, the stuff they're doing in there, um, as was Breath of the Wild. So, I mean, with Metroid Prime 4, I, obviously after Odyssey is as amazing as everything that's preceded it thus far, there are going to be super high expectations for Metroid Prime 4. Like, they're going to be astronomical for that. So, I uh, hope they, they end up delivering on that. But I think if you're talking about like the, these new games going in these directions, it's I think it's more a reaction to the, the feedback from more recent entries and seeing what's been doing well for, for other companies with these uh, these callbacks like that. Um, Crazy Beard asks... Uh, uh, it's I mean, it's bird with two eyes, so it was a beard. Uh, does Mario sixty four continue to offer something meaningful? I only played Mario sixty four at my cousin's house when I was younger. Beat a few levels, but never beat the game. Now finishing Mario sixty four has always been a throne. I think a thorn in your side. Is it thrown? I'm gonna go with thorn. But I would only go back to it if it holds up and if it still offers something meaningful, such as cool mechanics, levels, or enemies. I wonder if the magic of Mario 64 has been lost by subsequent Mario games and the soon-to-be-released Mario Odyssey. Thanks for taking the time to read my comment. Love and respect. Um, again, the further along you've gone and played more recent games, I think the harder it is to get the full appreciation of Super Mario 64. Uh, especially if you've played the, the Galaxy games. Uh, if you played either Galaxy game, I feel like a person might look at Mario 64 as inferior, or basically the tutorial game. Like the the this is the game where the foundation was laid, but obviously the the building blocks were put, and they they created something. They created the masterpiece with the the Galaxy games by building upon what was started in Mario 64 and continued in Sunshine. Um, I think that's the viewpoint people have that come from that. Uh, obviously, come from that uh, from that background. So. Mm. Uh, I still think there are there are things in in Mario sixty four I definitely appreciate over the the modern three D uh, incarnations that I still don't think they do. Um, I just don't know if you get that kind of fulfillment from other games that aren't three D platformers. A lot of other games and genres kind of took the the open design philosophy, uh, the the obstacle course, the sandbox, the, the playground type thing, and ran with it, and it resulted in like amazing like the if you played Breath of the Wild, the fact that you can do all these crazy things at any point in the game by interacting with the environment, that kind of blows anything you can do out of the water with Mario sixty four, but at its time that's like what Mario sixty four was going for, so. You have to appreciate, I think, what it was doing then, and that's where I can see, like, you know, some of the nostalgia factors that if you were there when it happened. It's like, holy crap! But now it's like, eh, that's not that special. But, uh, yeah, that's like a tough one. I, I, I don't want to say definitively because I think some people might actually get 
a lot of enjoyment out of going back and playing Mario 64 after the fact, or after I've never touched it and playing more recent games. But if you're so enthralled with Odyssey, I think it won't... I don't know. I am more inclined to say that you won't find as much meaning out of Mario 64 now as you would have had you finished it, uh, especially after if you play Odyssey first. It might be... You might get something meaningful in the ways of, oh, I see where Odyssey got this from. This is like an evolution of this. So it might fill in some gaps in terms of your uh, historical knowledge um, and just game design philosophy. But, uh, yeah, that that's always a hard one for me. But um, you should try. I mean, if you don't like it, you can just stop playing, obviously. Um, uh, be done. Nine one two ask. When I played Super Mario sixty four as a kid, I really struggled because I was not good at all with three D. What was the hardest level for you when you first played? Uh, versus now, is it the same? What about the hardest stars in the game? So as I said earlier, I had a really hard time moving Mario around in a straight line when I first tried tried to play Super Mario sixty four. Uh, it was a combination of the, using analog stick. I I don't think I'd used a joystick before. Maybe I touched one, but not to use it to that degree. Um, especially not moving around a character in a third dimension like that. It might have been moving a 2D character in an arcade game <laughs> or on a screen, but it was a little problematic. Uh, I eventually did click because I remember when I beat the game in October, like it was like second nature to move around in 3D. It was like just fun. Um, uh, I saw a problem with judging uh, depth in that game. Um, I know Mario cast a shadow, but it, it's... It's one of the things that I actually noticed when 3DS had 3D. Um, there's some things in 3D, like uh, Super Mario 3D Land. Uh, turning 3D on that game made platforming way easier for me than than having it off. So it's one of the few benefits of uh, the 3D effect, I will concede. Um, and that translates the most into difficulty for me in uh, uh, the uh, Rainbow Cruise level, the last level of the game. Of course, 15. Uh... I don't know if I'm getting the like the star name because there's cruiser crossing the rainbow or whatever, and then uh, rainbow ride or whatever it's called. But like the last course, you know, with the it's all in the sky. <laughs> it starts off with like you get on the magic carpet and you go around the rainbow course and you go up to a ship, you go up to a house. Like that level is just that one's always been like a. Uh, an Achilles heel for me. Um, also, to be really patient on that world, like a lot of it is sitting and waiting for you to reach destination. Um, otherwise, I mean, then right behind it's TikTok Clock. Like TikTok Clock is like the next one. Um, though that's also more of like a camera angle thing. There are some times where uh, I can't get a very good optimal camera angle to judge distance or depth very well. Um, so I just have to get like a feel like, I, the those courses I play the least because I usually have like 70 stars or close to 70 stars by them. And each of those courses, I know that like shorter stars to get that don't require me to go along the, the, the longer, uh, paths. So when I'm forced to either do 120 stars or people want to see those stars, uh, achieved, it is a bit more frustrating because I'm not as well practiced in those. Um, then maybe back in the day I used to be better at it, but those are usually the more frustrating. Is anything from TikTok Clock and uh, uh, Rainbow Cruise level? Let's, I apologize. The last course, course fifteen, which I'm forgetting the name. Um, William 
Oh, what was the hardest star in the game? Uh, uh, what always like trolls me the most is getting uh, for whatever reason it's not hard, but like eight red corn, eight red coins, and shifting sandline for some reason is my bane. Like I'll always screw something up. Uh, just because you have to go so far, you pretty much have to cover the entire course, and there's a lot of like insta death things with the quicksand. A lot of enemies that can knock you into it if you're just, you know, not careful. Um, I mean, it's it's honestly very easy, but I, keep, I seem to, like, screw that up a lot uh, for some reason. And very close to the end. Um, otherwise, it'd be something from uh, TikTok Clock or, uh, yeah, The Last World. Um, last question, Alejandro Medina asks, I love Super Mario 64. I'd love to hear your opinion on the DS version. I liked it too, but some people hated it. I just don't get it. I'm sorry, Alejandro. I haven't played it. Uh, I will make that a thing. You know what? Um, since it's on Wii Virtual Console, I will make it a point to stream through the entirety of that game uh, and, and do like a kind of a thing for that. I, I think that's has to happen. Uh, I don't know why it hasn't happened yet, but that has to happen. So, anyway, thank you... Uh, Thank you all for submitting your questions. Um, I feel like the Q&A part was way longer than uh, the actual episode. So uh, I don't know how this, how you all get to receive this. So uh, let me know in the comments below uh, if you're watching this on YouTube or on Patreon. Or if you want to tweet at me. Um, yeah, just let me know what you thought about this. And again, for future ones, I'd like to have more of the allies on there. I just need to give them prep time. Like they need to play through the entire game. Um, make the points they want to talk about. So it's a little bit of work, a little bit of research has to be done. Not like usually for the podcast, it's mostly on me, uh, the host, to research the points and questions. And people just had to like pay attention to the the news story or whatever. That doesn't take a lot of as much effort as having to play through an entire game. So these are these are harder to do, but uh, hopefully it turned out somewhat okay. Um, and uh, sorry for I, I'm recording this now, but I already know it's late. Just because this is a more a produced video, it's just, it's taking longer and stuff. So again, thank you as always for your patience and stuff. But yeah, I will. Not sure what the next episode will be. Hopefully, there's some news that drops during this week of Comic Con and stuff. Otherwise, I'll have to come up with another creative uh, idea for an episode. But until then, uh, see you next time on a uh, friend code.